Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences, congratulating students and its class of 2020 with more than 800 certificates, associates, bachelors, masters, and doctoral degrees at USU campuses statewide and online. Information at caas.usu.edu. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Vaccines are being rolled out. Warmer weather is approaching. Those are hopeful developments. What else should we know about COVID-19 in Utah right now? That's our subject for the hour today. We're going to answer your questions as we go along as well. UPRaccess at gmail.com is the email to get your question to us. UPRaccess at gmail.com. And uh, our guests will include uh, Kimberly Schof, professor in the Division of Public Health at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Uh, Kimberly Schof, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, Brady Bradford uh, joins us again, health director with the Southeast Utah Health Department. Uh, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. And uh, Caleb Harrison's back with us, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let me start with you. I know you uh, you have to leave here in about ten or fifteen minutes, uh, so I want to want to sh- make sure we get you in here. Uh, so first question, uh, Caleb Harrison, what's wh- what are the numbers looking like? Are they heading in the right direction in the Bear River Health Department? Yeah, we're really we're really happy with the trends that we're currently seeing in our jurisdiction, really statewide, uh, specifically for our jurisdiction, though. Uh, in the past week, we've seen an average of about 31 new cases each day, um, which, you know, is still high, but relative to where we've been the past couple of months, that's a huge, huge improvement. To put that in context, that's about where we were uh, early, uh, the very beginning of October before the, the big winter spike. So um, things are looking uh, good on a good trajectory. Would you expect, I think conventional wisdom is, we'd, we'd expect that to continue, especially with warmer weather coming. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the only thing that, you know, I can see threatening the, the trajectory of this is either if there's a significant shift in, in overall behavior when it comes to, uh, you know, protecting oneself from the, from, from the virus, or if we see something... Uh, a big change or just influence from some of these new variants that could threaten that trajectory. Otherwise, I think uh, things will continue uh, in the same direction. I want to loop back around to that behavior because <laughs> that, that's tied into psychology and sociology and everything. Um, uh, but well, I want to go next to uh, Brady Bradford. Uh, so what's the situation in the Southeast Utah Health Department? Uh, we're, we're also very encouraged by uh, what we are seeing locally here. Our, our average numbers have decreased pretty dramatically over the last four weeks or so. And uh, as we look at the percent positivity of our tests, that, those have also gone down uh, very significantly as well. So, so that is very encouraging. Um, when we're dealing with small populations, those, you know, Carbon County, for example, moved to a moderate risk transmission for a week, and then we had a few cases and bumped us back into a high-risk transmission. So we will see some of that, but on average, the trend is, is very encouraging. Uh, yeah, by the way, remind us what counties you're working with. Yeah, I, we have uh, the Southeast Utah Health 
district can, uh, has Carbon, Emory, and Grand counties. All right, yeah. And Caleb Harrison, uh, what counties are you working with? Yeah, the Bear River Health District comprises of Cash, Box Elder, and Rich counties. Okay. Well, let me turn to Kimberly Schoff, uh, professor in the Division of Public Health at the University of Utah. Uh, first of all, uh, tell us, uh, th- th- you deal with public health, so we're right in your sweet spot here. Uh, t- tell us uh, some of the things you study. So um, my background actually is in emergency public health, so this is exactly what I study. Um, and I have been looking at um, pandemics and other types of disasters and emergencies and the role of public health um, for well, let's just say um, I am a full professor, and so it's been a long time I've been doing that. Right. Um, and, I've, and I've worked with health departments um, across the country in helping prepare for something exactly like this. Um, so that's the types of things that I look at. I look at how does public health prepare for, how does public health respond to these emergencies, um, what kinds of things do we need to do to um, turn the tide, Um on, on something like this pandemic. Uh, can, I mean, you study this, uh, can we be fully prepared for something like this? This is a, what, once in a hundred years kind of a thing, or is it? Well, um, we all like to think it's once in a hundred years, but actually, if you look at pandemics in the history of pandemics, um, pandemics actually recur about um, on a 10-year average. Um, they aren't all catastrophic like this one is um but just like earthquakes we have earthquakes on a on a you know a more regular basis than we have catastrophic earthquakes so um when we plan for things like this we need to plan for these catastrophic events and i will tell you we we've done quite a bit we had done quite a bit of planning including here in um in utah um over the years for pandemics of this magnitude um it's always, though, you know, just thinking about even minor emergencies, right? We, we have winter weather every year, right? Bad winter weather, except for maybe this year. Um, and, but are we always 100% prepared when that first winter storm comes? No. Um, but eventually we remember how to do that, and we, we, we go back to that. And so I think that's, what we, that's where we are with this. It took us a little bit by surprise, um, but public health has the tools. And, ha- and had the tools back last March um, to be able to respond to these things. Um, one of the issues is, are we given the resources, um, are, are, is public health given the resources and the latitude to actually utilize those tools um, in the way that they know how to do that? Um, I want to follow up with what Caleb Harrison mentioned Um he talked about one of the things he worries about um, is uh, you know maybe letting up and in, in, in uh, public behaviors, right? Mask wearing, etc. Is that something you worry about as well, or because I, I I do think we're all weary of this, right? Um, everybody is tired of it, including everybody in public health is absolutely tired of it. Um, however, um, it doesn't mean that the the virus is tired of us. Um, and so I, I am concerned. I'm concerned about a couple of things. Um, yes, the trend is going down all across the country, although we are starting to see um, that downward trend actually flattening out um, in many places and actually starting to trend back up in some places. 
um, in the country. And so um, I'm definitely concerned that we can we get as many people vaccinated as we can possibly get vaccinated and that we continue the good public health preventive practices that we've put into place, um, wearing a mask, keeping distance, um, avoiding large gatherings and large crowds, um, and, and doing those kinds of things um, until we have um, achieved herd immunity, which means until we have gotten to the point where enough people have either gotten the virus and have gotten ill and recovered or have been vaccinated to protect all of those who haven't been vaccinated or those whose vaccine may not be as effective for them. Um, and that number for this virus is probably somewhere between 70 and 80 percent. Um, so we will need to continue practicing these practices, these good public health preventive measures, until we get, at least until we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Let me go, go back to Caleb Harrison. I know we have to let you go here in five minutes or so. Uh, I want to talk about vaccines. So in the Bear River Health Department, uh, as in all health departments, vaccines are rolling out. Um, t- t- tell us the process and uh, and and who's next and how uh, how we find out the information about when it's our turn. Yeah, uh, currently, so the, the vaccine in Utah is being offered to uh, uh, individuals based off of age and pre-existing health conditions. Uh, most recently, uh, it was age uh, was lowered for or made allowed for those 16 and up with pre-existing conditions. Um, and just as, as we're able to get through those populations uh, and, and see that those most at-risk groups are, are uh, receiving the vaccine, uh, then it gets opened up to younger age groups or uh, groups with less severe pre-existing conditions. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard to predict just because, um, you know, it, it, we have to see where, uh, where we are once, uh, you know, the next phase gets rolled out. And uh, so, yeah, but, but the one, the thing that we can uh, expect is that uh, as, as we uh, do vaccinate each group, then it will be opened up more and more by age and general overall health. Now, I did uh, note that uh, this was, what, a week or two ago, the governor put out the word, kind of emergency word, I think this was Bear River Health Department, that... Uh, um, that, that there are more vaccines than people at that point, and if you wanted a vaccine, rush in. And I think those slots were filled in just a couple of hours after you put out the word. So it looks like people are definitely wanting the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, uh, to your first point, that that's been a challenge in the state where we all kind of have to roll out the vaccine to these groups at, at a similar rate, or at least at, at a similar similar pace, but for some of the smaller jurisdictions, such as ours, in comparison with some of the larger jurisdictions, such as Salt Lake County, uh, we have an easier time getting through those populations, and so the announcement from the governor allows for a bit of flexibility for people to be able to go into different counties to get uh, the vaccine where uh, those clinics might not be as busy. Um, Yeah. Uh, Can you, uh, you know, can you sign up, even if it's not 
you know, to get on a waiting list or, you know, emergency list in case you have extra vaccines? Can you can you sign up for something like that, even if it's not your uh, group? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have a uh, emergency list or anything like that. Um, but if you go on to now the state has a centralized um, portal where, where someone in the state can go on and sign up for their vaccine and, and there are appointments that are open and, uh, and so we frequently see people going uh, looking for available options either at one of the health department's clinics or we've got uh, several pharmacies and other locations offering vaccines as well and so um, those slots being open for people to be able to, to sign up. Now, my understanding is the, the vaccines that are out are not approved for children. Is that right? Yeah. So for the um, Pfizer, it's currently approved for those 16 and above, and Moderna is for 18 and above. Uh, however, the trials for um, safety and efficacy are ongoing for younger age groups, and once those are completed and data are analyzed on that, we'll have a better understanding of far as how these will work for younger populations but for the time being yeah just for 16 uh, or 18 and above depending on the vaccine okay so that that might be a while for for kids what is, is there a concern is that going to i mean concern for the kids as well i want to get that in but concern for herd immunity if uh, if, if a segment of the population isn't vaccinated yeah absolutely um like professor show mentioned we we want to get up to about 70 or 80 percent for herd immunity and so it's still a ways off even though we're we're uh currently demand is far outweighing supply um there's still segments of the population like the younger age groups that won't be able to be vaccinated um, for some time and then after that there's you know the vaccine hesitant uh group that maybe the work will shift towards uh towards uh trying to get demand up to meet the supply that we have so challenges down the road for sure mm -hmm. i know we have to let you go here pretty soon so we'll we'll go to break and then return with our other two guests but so a, a final word um uh, caleb harrison what's what's top of mind for you as an epidemiologist right now in, in a health department uh, yeah for me i think going back to what we talked about about the uh the race against the virus when it comes to uh, you know what could be the next major uh, mutation to be able to, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way, that I, I feel like these next few months right now are uh, a critical time where we want to get as many people vaccinated as possible in a race against the vaccine before, or, or rather a race against the virus before it finds a mutation that could possibly undo some of the work that we've done and, and render the mRNA vaccines uh, less uh, effective. So really, uh, the, the measures we have in place to be able to uh, prevent spread in the community, which reduces the chance that the virus can, you know, further mutate, and then also vaccinate uh, to be able to uh, protect vulnerable populations and also slow the spread. It's a really critical spot right now, and definitely the time to continue uh, the measures that we've, you know, put in place to be able to continue this, this uh good direction that we're headed in we're good uh caleb harrison uh epidemiologist of the bear river health department has been with us uh, thank you so much for for joining us today thanks 
for having me, Tom. Thank you. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll return with Brady Bradford, Health Director with the Southeast Utah Health Department, and uh, Kimberly Shelf, Professor in the Division of Public Health at the University of Utah School of Medicine. And I'd uh, love to get your question about the vaccine uh, or anything else related to COVID-19 in Utah right now or your comment, uh, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about COVID-19 in Utah. What's the situation right now? And you can get your question or comment to us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, I'll throw out a question to our listeners. Uh, how, how are you doing? How are you and your family doing with this? Uh, what are your feelings right now? I know we're all feeling weary. Just want it to be done. Uh, but, you know, an important stretch run, however long it lasts here, is, is critical. I would imagine. Uh, so what are your thoughts? Uh, UPRaccess at gmail.com. Uh, so I want to turn next to Brady Bradford uh, with the Southeast Health Department. Uh, I want to talk about vaccines within your department as well. What's what's the rollout like? How, how are people, uh, I imagine there's eagerness uh, to, to get the vaccine. And uh, where are we with the vaccine in the Southeast Health Department? Yeah, there, there is a lot of eagerness. And, you know, this has been um, a, a pretty exciting time because, you know, uh, we're, we're happy to, to deliver that vaccine and, and people want it and feel uh, a measure of safety and security once they've got um, one dose and then particularly after they've been able to, to get fully vaccinated. Um, people have expressed a lot of relief and, and a lot of thanks um, for what we're doing and, and that's gratifying to hear. In, in our area, um, we have encouraged people to sign up online, but um, given the populations we've been dealing with, we've mostly actually filled our slots with uh, phone waiting lists, um, just as, as not everyone is super comfortable on the, on the computer and scheduling an appointment that way. We, we anticipated it will move more and more to our, our online scheduler, but... Um, uh, it, it's been, you know, certainly the demand is high, but it, it is nice that, to have these schedules filled out that um, there is virtually no waiting time at all once you do have an appointment. You come in, get the shot, wait for 15 minutes just to, to monitor health, and, and then they're gone. And so um, as much as it is a, a trial to get that appointment, uh, we're glad that we don't have lines of people waiting for an hour or two and then and not have anything for them once they get get here. Um, at this point, we're at about 20% of our eligible population that has that's had at least the first vaccination and, and we're now able to bring on some additional partners in terms of private pharmacies and our, and our hospitals. And, um, and so that's exciting as well to, to bring them on because they, they're anxious to be involved in this effort as, as well. So I've heard a goal stated of, uh, I guess, every adult uh, who wants one able to get the, at least the first dose by the end of May. Is that the is that the goal in your department? Yeah, 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 yeah that, that is the goal, and um, I'm also optimistic. Certainly, um, it's been hard to predict what we're going to get every, every week in terms of vaccination or the, the number of doses we receive, but generally that, that has trended upward, so... That's a very good sign, and um, as we have increased 
capacity with with all the partners coming on, then then um, we are optimistic that can happen in Southeast Utah. Kimberly to the show, if I want to talk a little bit about, about vaccine with you, um, uh, Caleb Harrison, for left uh, talked about, and I've been reading about this as well. Um, a, a race against variants, against mutations of the of the virus. Is that, is that a concern? If we can get everybody vaccinated quickly enough, maybe get a handle on this, and if not, then then those variations will be around longer? Uh, well, so there are a lot of different variants, um, and there are variants that are viruses mutate very quickly, and coronaviruses are really good at mutating. Um, and so we've had a number of variants that have arisen um, both here in the United States as well as in other countries. Um, and some of those variants are less, let's just say, less susceptible to the vaccine. Um, so we know that um, the B, I think it's 1357, I think that's the number that's coming, that's um, the variant that we see in South Africa, um, is a little, is less susceptible to the vaccines that we currently have. Um, so that's the bad news. The good news is that um, all of the vaccine companies are working to either do a booster or some sort of modification um, so that the vaccine does is more effective with that variant. Um, we do have a couple of cases that we've identified of that variant here in the United States, but not a lot. Um, so uh, the variant that we have more of are the two variants um, that people are a little bit concerned about that that started either in California or New York, um, as well as the one that, um, which is the B117, um, which is the one that was um, prominent in England. Um, we have more of those variants. Um, the vaccine does seem to be effective with those variants um, the way it is right now. Mm. Um, so we will just need to continue working on vaccines. We'll probably all need boosters at some point in the future. Um, we don't know how frequently that'll happen, um, but that's just the way it is with vaccines and with viruses that mutate quite frequently. Yeah. Let me throw out this question uh, to either uh, Kimberly Schoff or uh, Brady Bradford. Um, um, this has come in from uh, Leslie. Let me pull up the question again here. I, I clicked away from it. Here it is. Leslie's question. Please tell us a bit more uh, detail about the composition of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. How is it different from Pfizer and Moderna, uh, parentheses, besides that it is one dose? Uh, does it use mRNA technology like Pfizer and Moderna? I don't know if either of you uh, have answered that question. Um, so I have, um, and I'll let them, Brady, if he wants to jump in. Um, so the um, Johnson & Johnson vaccine uses an adenovirus, which is a common a virus that causes a common cold, um, a mild common cold. Um, it uses that. Instead of using the mRNA to transport the information about the, the spike, um, it uses an adenovirus to carry that information. So it's slightly different than the mRNA. Um, it essentially does the same thing. It, takes the, it carries the spike. The, the information about the spike protein into the body so that our body's um, immune system can recognize that spike and produce a response to that spike, um, which is the spike that is on the coronavirus. Um, and so it's 
slightly different because it's using an existing virus that they have um, kept it from being able to replicate. So you can't, you, you're not going to get sick from it either um, because it, the, the virus, the adenovirus isn't capable of replicating um, in your body. It is just a, a vehicle that is carrying that spike protein into your body, just like the mRNA um, is a vehicle that's carrying that information into your body. And I believe, I'm just reading here, uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson, besides being one dose, it doesn't need to be uh, at extreme low temperature, right? It's just refrigerated? Right. Yeah. It's just our, it's our typical cold chain, just like um, our health departments use for MMR vaccine. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Bradford, uh, anything else you'd like to say about the about the vaccine? Then my, my second question is... Um, are, are we in Utah? Are we going to get Johnson Johnson? Some of these other vaccines? Or I guess it depends on on uh, what state of Utah can purchase. So um, I think Dr. Shelf did a great job of uh, describing the differences, um, and I, I think we should be very excited that there's another vaccine um, available to us now. A lot's been made about the fact that. The one-dose vaccine may not be quite as effective as the, the two-dose with Pfizer and Moderna, but it's still very effective, and 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 particularly in in preventing severe disease and, and hospitalization, which is really what we're going for. So we, we need to be excited about that, and and if uh, people have an opportunity to to get one or the other, um, we just encourage them to to take what's available, um, and we will have. Johnson & Johnson uh, available. I know we were made aware last Thursday that uh, Utah was going to get a shipment of just over 20,000 doses, um, which will be, you know, distributed throughout the state. Um, we have a couple partners here that we believe actually will be receiving their their doses today and start scheduling uh, further into this week. So, that that is good news, and and we were excited. And I know that there are people, there's some people that want uh, one or the other. Um, certain folks have been waiting for the Johnson and Johnson, and and so that will be good for them to have access to it. Can can, can we choose uh, which vaccine we we get? Well, um, I think most agencies are going to try to focus on on having one. Um, vaccine or the other. For example, here at the health department, we have Moderna. Um, we don't really have any Pfizer in our area because of the, the ultra-low temperature issues, um, but we'll now have some Johnson & Johnson. So people can, uh, again, inquire about that and, and, and maybe target themselves to to a location where they, they feel like they'd get uh, the, the type they want. But again, I, I would caution against um, being too picky, so to speak. Um, for now, we, we, we do need to move through the population quickly, as, as has been mentioned, and um, they've all shown to be, to be very effective, and, and that kind of that rapid distribution and administration of vaccine is, is what's going to help us um, uh, emerge from this sooner rather than later. Uh, just one more question, uh, Brady Bradford, uh, here. Um, side effects. Uh, have people been experiencing side effects, or are people worried about side effects? Um, I, I think people are, are worried about it. I, I get a lot of questions about that, and I've been able to relate my own, my own experience with, with the vaccine. But, um, you know, we've administered uh, several thousand now here, and um, 
Primarily, um, we do have a lot of people um, presenting with kind of a, a, a baseball-sized rash at the administrative administration site. Generally, doesn't hurt, but it, it can be itchy. It lasts for a couple of days. Um, we have had no serious reactions. We've administered Benadryl uh, uh, two or three times, just as people started to feel a, a little bit, a little bit uh, off, um, but they, they quickly recovered. Um, so again, a, a very low rate of, of any sort of reaction there. With the with the second shot, uh, we have seen you know a, a a good percentage that that have 12 to 24 hours worth of uh, kind of uh, fatigue and muscle aches and maybe some chills, and that that rapidly leaves as their body um, you know finishes that response. So um, it, it's pretty much as as has been predicted. Um, and uh, has occurred uh, throughout the country. Um, and um, so word is getting around that um, for, for your second shot, you might want to uh, prepare for, for that for a day, um, but you'll recover and, and be uh, well on your way after, you know, 24, 30 hours or so. Mm, yeah. Uh, Kimberly Schof, uh if I'm vaccinated, I got my both my doses and uh, waited the appropriate amount of time. Uh, am I impervious, and do I need to still wear a mask, social distance, etc.? One of the things that has been um, difficult to to convey, and and I thank you for asking about this because while the vaccine does um, prevent. 90, 95% of the time, serious illness, hospitalization, and death. Um, it's not quite as effective at preventing infection completely. Um, and so you are not immune. You're not impervious. It's not that you can't get it. Um, and most vaccines are that way. Um, and so we do still need to take all of those precautions that we took before. Um, until we get to the point where we've got enough people in the population vaccinated that the virus really can't survive within our population. Um, and so, um, you know, it does prevent infection to a certain degree, um, but not 100%. So um, until we get most of the population protected, it's going to be, we're going to need to continue with some, with these preventive actions. So if, and we do. We are seeing some people who do get sick um, following complete um, vaccination, um, and they are still potentially able to transmit that to other people. So, um, if you, you know, we, we are still doing things like wearing masks and um, maintaining social distance, even if you are vaccinated. We're good. Um, let's take another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, more. Um, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, there's a bill being run uh, in the legislature. Representative Paul Ray's uh, House Bill 294. It, it, it uh, uh, was voted out of committee, uh, so it's it's proceeding at this point. Uh, he's looking at what he calls the end game, some guidelines from the legislature on. Uh, when the state of Utah's COVID-19 restrictions, including mask mandates, business restrictions, social distance requirements, end. And he's uh, in the bill, he sets up a checklist of metrics uh, for an end game for, uh, for COVID. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the specific bill and, and also an end game. 
Uh, of course, we we all want an end game for this. Um, we'll have uh, more with uh, Kimberly Schoff, who's uh, with the Depart- Division of Public Health in the University of Utah School of Medicine, and Brady Bradford, who's with the Southeast Utah Health Department. And uh, more of your questions as well. We'd love to answer your question or get your comment to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about COVID in Utah, a snapshot right now. We're also, uh, we've been talking about the vaccine, look ahead to the future as well, uh, potential end game, hopefully, for uh, COVID uh, in Utah. And we're talking with Kimberly Show, professor in the Division of Public Health at University of Utah School of Medicine, and Brady Bradford, who's health director with the Southeast Utah Health Department. Uh, we're looking for your question on uh, COVID, anything uh, related or perhaps a comment. How are things in your area? Um, is is uh, you know, things getting better or worse? And uh, how, are, how are people doing with this? How are you and your family doing um, emotionally or physically? Upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com uh, is the email. Uh, so let me just to read a little bit more from this uh, Deseret News article, um, which is uh, dated just uh, yesterday, and uh, talking about Representative Paul Ray's House Bill 294, which uh, ha- was pa- passed out of committee. Uh, so uh, his bill has what he calls a checklist of metrics the state of Utah would need to reach to qualify, uh, many of which the state is close to, at least right now, or already would qualify, Um and uh, he, he says that, so what this bill is proposing is basically at what point do we say the emergency order stays because we need that for vaccines, but we get rid of restrictions that go along with that, like mask wearing and social distancing. And so some of the metrics that this bill would set up um, include a uh, 14-day case rate that includes that's less than 101 per 100,000 people or under 2,900 cases. Snapshot of yesterday, we're under that. Uh, the bill would also require less than 15% of COVID-19 utilization of intensive care unit hospital beds, as of, I think, yesterday or the day before, 13%. And lastly, the bill would require at least 1.5 million first doses of COVID-19 vaccine be allocated to the state. And as of uh, yesterday, we're close to 900,000. Uh, let me start with uh, Kimberly Schoff on, on this one. What, what do you think in terms of mandates uh, or... Uh, you know, suggestions, recommendations from from the state or from health departments. Uh, what do you think the end game is? Uh, how do we taper that off? So I appreciate that um, we are looking at how do we get out of this, right? Um, anytime good disaster planning is always you always start um, at the very beginning, figuring out how you how you end it, right? And so that it's an important piece to think about. Um, and I appreciate that the legislature um, attempted to put some metrics around around that end game um, and not just say, oh, well, it's over. Um, however, I do, um, I take some exception with the metrics that they've used. Um, and, um, and the science behind the metrics that they've used um, they came up with some numbers. The health department came up some, with some. I was actually in the in the um, in the committee session yesterday, um, speaking about this bill and bill and 195, 
Um, and, um, you know, they talked about that the legislature came up with one set of numbers and the health department came up with another set of numbers and they met somewhere in the middle of those numbers. Um, we just talked about the fact that um, herd immunity for this virus is somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of the population. Given that we cannot vaccinate children and that our population in the state um, of children is about 27 percent under the age of 18, um, it's, we would have to vaccinate practically every adult in order to achieve herd immunity. Um, and so having one and a half million doses of vaccine, which actually only vaccinates 750,000 people, um, is not going to get us anywhere near herd immunity. Um, and so ending um, public health orders, and I don't like to use the word mandate because they are public health orders, they're a legal, they're a legal tool that is in the arsenal of public health for fighting things like this um, pandemic. Um, when we have not achieved the place, the, the, you know, the herd immunity that science tells us that we need in order to end those measures. Um, do you, uh, I read, I read this last week. I can't remember exactly where I read it. Um, but this, this particular, um, expert was laying out a potential scenario. Uh, if I can quote it somewhat accurately, they said, we'll have a glorious summer with <laughs> rates plummeting and, uh, and, and kind of getting back a little bit back to more normal, uh, kind of a then a resurgence a bit in the fall, uh, uh, you know, a, a troublesome winter, and then finally, you know, early somewhere in 2022, we'll have a quote unquote new normal. Um, so, Kimberly Shelf, do you? I don't know. Does does that seem reasonable? It's hard to predict the future. Um, a glorious summer. Um, I'm not sure that I would consider what we're going to see in the summer a glorious summer. I am hoping that we will have. A summer that, and, and I'm saying, I'm using the word hope, um, not predict or project, but hope that we will have a summer where we can um, enjoy the outdoors um, and do the kinds of things that we like to do outdoors while still um, being cautious um, about large gatherings. Um, I, you know, the governor tweeted that he felt that we would be. You know, maskless and in large crowds celebrating the 4th of July, that concerns me. Um, I hope that we will be able to celebrate the 4th of July, um, but not necessarily maskless and in large gatherings. Uh, so I think that we need to be a little more cautious about what we will see in the summer. I hope that as we get more and more people vaccinated and we get towards the fall, that we will see something that begins to apply approach normalcy. Mm -hmm. uh, is there concern, uh, should we be concerned that uh, even with the vaccine, that uh, if we have those, you know, variations, those mutations out there, that uh, COVID could just settle in to be kind of like the flu? I mean, we're mostly vaccinated, but we we have some cases every fall kind of a thing? That's actually what we expect to see. Oh, that okay. The, that this coronavirus, that with vaccine, um, that it will start to become less severe, um, that it will become normalized, it will become endemic in our population, and we will need to keep up our vaccine to keep up with this with this virus as it as it continues to circulate. Mm -hmm. 
Bernie Bradford, what what's your concern? Uh, you know, uh, public health uh, official, also you know, individual who's <laughs> who just wants to get back to normal, right? So competing hats there, but um, um, what what are your concerns? Did, did uh, we loosen up too quickly here as we get into summer? Well, you're absolutely right that uh, certainly this is this is uh, worn worn out its welcome. Uh, quite a long time ago, but uh, one of my concerns is is just that we, well, let me back up. You know, I I also appreciate the fact that um, there's this attempt to to lay out metrics to say, you know, here's when when we we can start to change our behaviors. Um, But I I think one of the the lessons that I've learned is, is that we haven't been able to truly really predict you know, what's going to happen from month to month, uh, let alone, um, you know, several months in the future over the over the past year. And so I'd worry that we, we get too set in in a pathway that, that may change and we might need to adjust. And, and so we'll, we'll get, you know, anger or hurt feelings or, you know, uh, you know, a declaration that, that, uh, public health or the government or whoever it may be doesn't know what they're doing instead of re- recognizing that w- we still have to be flexible and responsive to what the data are saying um, all while anticipating uh, um, more positive trends um, but that um, we we are still in the midst of learning what is best for Southeast Utah and the state of Utah uh, the country and the, and the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've—obviously uh, wouldn't be people coming in to receive their vaccine, but I don't know if you've heard of people who are vaccine-skeptical, not going to get the vaccine, uh, and do you worry if there are enough of those uh, folks that that could, 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 could harm the whole effort? Certainly we do, and, and, and I know those people, and, and I'm friends with those people. Um, you know, we've, we've called several people on our waiting list that have— since had conversations with friends or family members and, and decided to change their mind and, and they're, they're not going to get vaccinated. Um, in general, I, I think, you know, particularly as time goes on and, and we uh, show the, demo, the, the effectiveness of these vaccines, many of those people will have an opportunity to, to reevaluate that decision and, and be vaccinated. We know there are people that will not choose to do that, but um, all in all, I, I think um, there is a desire to, to be vaccinated, though, um, again, we will, I, I think, eventually need to move into the point where, um, you know, as long as it's proven to be safe and effective for those that are younger than uh, 18 and 16 years old, um, we will need to vaccinate those individuals as well to, to get, you know, sufficient numbers to, to re- achieve that herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kimberly Schoff, um coming out of a of pandemic this big, do we uh, are we heading toward a normal normal, or is it a new normal? Or what, do we, again, it's prediction. But uh, what do you think? Um, I like to think that after every emergency, we come back to a new normal, um, something that is slightly different. I think that a lot of the things we're doing, we've done up to this now, this um, point in time previous to this pandemic, um, will be done slightly differently. 
Um, some of that will be good. Some of that will probably not be as positive as we would have liked it to be. Um, but I think that we will, I think we will approach things in a slightly different way. Um, but it will be um, certainly much better than living through what we're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will get through this and that we will um, be able to recover a new normal thing. Um, and um, be a little more prepared and a little more cautious about the next time something like this happens. Mm-hmm. Let's ask my next question, uh, just a couple of minutes for this. I know I'd turn uh, uh, at the end to, to Brady Radford, but what what are, the, you know, a couple of the key things you think we are learning from this big pandemic, this this big public health emergency? Um, I hope that the, one of the things that we're learning um, as a country is that we can't live in isolation, that we have to live um, as part of a global um, community, um, whether that is uh, talking about you know within our within our 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 local area um, that we are all interconnected and we what I do affects you and what you do affects me um, as well as globally um, that um, we need to take our place in the world to help um, ensure that when something happens that we all work together to be able to try and get through it uh, that for me is is one of the lessons that I hope we take out of this. Brittany Bradford, um, perhaps this is a good time to, to, to get information out, at least for the Southeast Health Department, how do people connect up with the vaccines and, uh, and, and who's, uh, who's, who's in line right now and who's next? So um, we, we encourage people to go on to our website, seuhealth.com. Um, there's a, a schedule schedule your vaccine button on there. And at that point, you can look for available appointments uh, within our system. We're also adding a link to uh, anyone else in the area that is also receiving vaccines as well. So you can go on and and look for an appointment. Uh, You know, if we don't have one or they don't have one, just uh, the more more opportunity you have, the uh, easier we want that to be for everybody. For those that don't, again, feel comfortable with that, we encourage them to call their office, whether in Carbon, Emory, and Grand County, and get put on the wait list. So, again, that's for those that are 65 and older and, and uh, that set of pre-existing conditions that uh, uh, seems to predispose individuals to, to more hospitalization. Um, I can tell you that... Um, the eligibility criteria are re- reviewed almost on a daily basis as we look at uh, what appointments are available um, throughout each health department and district um, to see when that might uh, open up to more individuals. And um, certainly we don't know exactly what that will be, but um, we, we are anxious that all appointments are filled um, every week so that we can uh, be as efficient as possible. So we, we won't wait until we have a week. Uh, let's say, you know, locally we have a week where we had 200 appointments uh, that haven't been filled. We won't wait to that point to to open eligibility further. Um, and uh, certainly there, there are some elements as we consider, for example, Southwest Utah has a, a higher population of elderly individuals. Um, so it's taking them 
just a bit bit longer, but uh, we also want to account for that and and maybe sometimes they, they get a few extra doses sent their way to, to help account for that uh, discrepancy that they're facing right now. So again, we don't exactly know when that, that will change, but um, we'll do it as we, we feel like it's prudent so that we can keep every appointment filled every week. Very good. Uh, let me just mention uh, here um, a good uh, clearinghouse for information statewide is coronavirus.utah.gov, coronavirus.utah.gov, and you can find out in your area, if you don't happen to be in southeastern Utah area, uh, how you can get vaccinated, where you can go, and everything else. Uh, so we've been talking about the COVID-19 situation in Utah right now and looking ahead a bit as well, and we've uh, had with us uh, Kimberly Shove, professor in the Division of Public Health at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I just want to thank... Um Brady and all of my public health colleagues that have been working so tirelessly on the front lines, um, sometimes without thanks and sometimes with um, less than thanks, um, some, some rancor and, and, and disappointment. And I have no disappointment at all in our health departments and my public health colleagues, and I want to thank them. Thank you for that. And, uh, yes, thanks to all of our all of the uh, health departments. And uh, Brady Bradford, uh, Health Director with Southeast Utah Health Department, uh, thanks for your good work and thanks for coming on the show today. I, I truly appreciate that and uh, I'm anxious to pass along that, that uh, those compliments to, to my staff. Um, they've been working real hard for a, a long time now and we hope we see the end, but there's still quite a ways to go. So thanks, Tom. Thanks, Dr. Schoff. Thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, tomorrow, uh, a new book's out from Anne Lamott. Um, it's called Dusk, Night, Dawn on Revival and Courage. She asks and answers the questions, how can we recapture the confidence we once had as, as we stumble through dark times that seem increasingly bleak, and how can we cope with as bad news piles up around us? Dusk, Night, Dawn, Anne Lamott, that's tomorrow. Thanks for listening today.